It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Easter is coming up, and I just can't wait to have the whole family in one place. And of course, what's Easter without an awesome Easter brunch? Now, I don't know about your family, but mine is a little picky, and I really wanted to impress them with something delicious. A friend told me I should check out Total Wine & More. It was crazy. They must have every wine and beer imaginable. I told one of their friendly experts my situation, and they found me just the thing. This sparkling wine is going to be absolutely perfect for brunch, even with my picky family. I know next time I need something, I'm shopping at Total Wine & More. Welcome, everyone, to the All-Star Break edition of the NBA Podcast. Got a great episode for you today, including a vicious Brian Colangelo rant from yours truly. We'll also give some award updates, and we will make some predictions for the trade deadline, which is next Thursday. Before we get underway, just wanted to remind everyone to follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. In our bio, you can find all three of our Twitter handles as well, so be sure to give us a follow. You can find us this year on iTunes, so be sure to check us out there. Uh, we'd love it if you subscribed, downloaded, uh, left us some feedback. We'd love any good or bad. Uh, and then you can find us this year also on FanRag Sports. So check them out on Twitter, at FanRag Sports. And for their NBA content, at FanRag NBA. Zach Harper, formerly of CBS Sports, is with us for the end of the season. So be sure to check all the FanRag content out. We've had some good stuff heading into the trade deadline. With all of that said, I'm joined as always today by both Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. How's it going, you two? It's going well, Brian. It's good. It's a beautiful day in Texas today. I feel like I should be out frolicking, but... <laughs> Don't worry, Sarah. Global warming is happening. It's not a Chinese <laughs> hoax. So, uh, yeah, you're going to have plenty more. Not here. It's gray and snowy. So oh. thank you, Sarah. <laughs> oh, there you go. Well, well, in Chicago, it's likewise like 60 degrees in the middle of February. So, you know, yeah. definitely not worried about global warming at all. Totally normal. Uh, <laughs> all right so we had an emergency podcast tuesday morton and i did discussing the blockbuster serge Ibaka trade we also touched on kevin love's injury and use of nurkic and the mason plumley swapping from denver to portland so sarah before we move on to my colangelo rant i wanted to give you a chance to uh give your thoughts on any of those three topics okay um well the the Nurkic uh, Plumley trade, you know, it's not really a trade that moves the needle a lot for either team. As right as we speak, uh, could be the start of something good for either one, depending on subsequent moves. But I, I don't I don't mind it. I think it's a, a decent move for both teams. the The main thing that strikes me is it's a great opportunity for Nurkic, who 
you know, coming from the situation he was in, obviously he and Jokic unfortunately didn't work out on the floor together very well. And Jokic has pretty clearly emerged as the guy that Denver's going to go with. So, you know, to be in the position position that he was in, you know, kind of frustrated not getting minutes to, you know, there's not a lot of competition, you know, with uh, Azili being out all year. I mean, he has a chance to be the guy, the big uh, in Portland. So I'm interested to see what he does with that. Um, obviously he's got some work to do defensively and whatnot, but he's a skilled player. So that's exciting. And Plumley, you know, he's athletic. He's a good role man. So, you know, theoretically you could even pair him sometimes with, uh, with Jokic because Jokic is so good at the elbows and he can step out further. So it's not a bad move for either team. Um, the Ibaka trade, I think you guys I'm sure you guys pointed out, you guys have talked a lot about that. You, you <laughs> wanted that to happen. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of needed to happen, I think, especially with the East somewhat opening up a little bit with the Kevin Love news. I mean, it's it's go for it, you know, <laughs> it's strike now type of thing. So it's good for Toronto. They were really falling. And hopefully, you know, they can kind of turn it back around a little bit and we can see a more interesting East now. I like, yeah, it sounds like you're about where we were with both the Plumlee-Nurkic deal and the Ibaka trade. Both Morton and I were pretty high on, obviously, as we've been clamoring for Ibaka trade for months now, we were high on that. But also, uh, yeah, we, we're, we're big fans of both sides of the Plumlee-Nurkic swap as well. We definitely see the upside there. Uh, Morton, any, any final thoughts about what Sarah had? Or should we move on to me just lighting a fire under Brian Colangelo? Oh, I want to hear your rant, but I, I, I can never disagree with Sarah, really, because she just nailed it. So it I completely agree. I, I especially like the fact that um, the point, Sarah, that you made with Plumlee as a role man, because I was I, I made a different um, argument that he would be good as a low block passer instead. But yeah. you're absolutely right. Him having the ability to row with, with Jokic outside, who can shoot the three, uh, would actually be an interesting dynamic. And with Jokic also, also being a wonderful passer and probably one of the best passers in the year to come, regardless of position, really, uh, we could see uh, our fair share of lobs between the two if, yeah. you know, they they get to share minutes, which is still a big question mark. But yeah, it we'll won't see. be a lot, I wouldn't think. But I mean, you can do it, I think. They could run like that 4-5 pick and roll that the Spurs have experimented with a little bit this year, which I love. <laughs> I'd love yeah. to see more of. I think it would be effective for them as well. Yeah, and right now it's looking like, I mean, they, they're they the eighth seed right now, so they could play Golden State in the first round. Having all that size, I mean, you know, Golden State is still probably going to plow them <laughs> in five games, but it might be a, a little bit more difficult than Golden State would like. So, uh, yeah, it, that, you know, they played uh, Monday when that trade went down, and Jokic had a triple-double, and, our boy Juan Hernan Gomez went off for like 30 points, close to 30 points. So that could be a fun first round series. I'm suddenly excited about a Golden State-Denver playoff matchup. All right, guys, this is the moment you've all been waiting for. Uh, you had to know this was coming because the Sixers, after having a great January and restoring hope to the franchise, they have turned back into a goddamn clown show in February. Uh, we're going to hit... <laughs> I mean, it, there are three huge strikes against Brian Colangelo in the last three weeks, so I'm going to go over those 
and then I want you guys to talk me down from the ledge a little bit. Okay. So, <laughs> so obviously the big one, Jalil Okafor gets held out uh, Saturday before the All-Star break and Monday before the All-Star break. Uh, you know, after Saturday, that was against the Heat, um, Brett Brown came out to the media and said, you know, trade discussions are heating up. We held him out for that reason. If you don't see him Monday against Charlotte, that's why. He didn't come to Charlotte. He, like, did not board the plane to Charlotte. So, it, you know, all these reports were leaking out, like, it's going to happen today. It didn't happen. He then boards the plane, plays with the team against the Celtics on Wednesday, and is still on the team as of Friday, heading into the All-Star break. The Ringers, Kevin O'Connor, reported that, you know, he talked to league sources, and they suggested... Basically, Brian Colangelo was trying to drive up Okafor's value by holding him out and making it seem like, all right, we're really going to trade him today. Get your best offers in. And obviously no one bought it because it's <laughs> a third grade move from a GM. Like, you know, I was emailing with some Sixers people that, that whole weekend and I'm like, guys, it, you know, it, these reports have been out for a week. Why hasn't the move happened? This is starting to feel like it's more posturing than anything else, which it obviously then turned out to be. So that was strike one. Strike two, the day of uh, the day that they held Okafor out, the day that these supposed trade talks were heating up, Derek Bodner, a longtime Sixers reporter, uh, who was starting his own patron, by the way. If you follow the Sixers, go support him on patron because he's the best Sixers writer in town. Uh, he broke the news that Joel Embiid had a slight meniscus tear, as well as the bone bruise that he's been nursing for the last couple weeks. After that report, Colangelo came out to the media, said, it's, you know, he yeah, he has this tear. We, we did an MRI three weeks ago. We found it. It could have been pre-existing before the bone bruise. Didn't explain why they let him play in Houston, or against Houston that next week with the bone bruise and the meniscus tear. The Bone Brews had a timetable of two to three weeks to recover from. Didn't explain why that happened. Uh, but Embiid is out. You know, he's missed, I think, 14 of the last 15 games. He's not playing in the Rising Stars Challenge or the Skills Challenge in All-Star Weekend. So that was strike two. And now there's a report out that Ben Simmons, uh, Keith Pompey of the Philadelphia Inquirer reported uh, Thursday that Ben Simmons' foot may not be fully healed yet, even though the Sixers leaked basically last month that it was fully healed. Uh, you know, Chris Haynes of ESPN said he might make his debut soon after the All-Star break. The Sixers sent out a statement yesterday that basically said, we're putting his long-term health first. Uh, he's getting an MRI, I believe, next Thursday, the day of the trade deadline. That will probably determine his fate for the rest of the year. But at this point, it sounds like Ben Simmons more likely than not will not play this year and will miss his entire rookie season. So, here's my thought. If, if Brian Colangelo, I know like you have to sell tickets, and it's a lot easier to sell tickets when there's the promise in March of like, hey, you might see Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Like, come, you know, come to this late-season game that's otherwise meaningless because we're just headed toward the lottery again. I get that. But at the same time, Sam Hinkie was just fired for, in part for being shifty and dishonest with the media about you know injury timetables and just not being available to talk about 
you know, things with the franchise. I don't understand why Colangelo, you know, he went on this radio tour the week before the Embiid news came out and he was talking about, you know, it's just a bone bruise. It's no big deal. He did not at any point mention the meniscus tear at all. That seems like a pretty big detail to leave out. So again, I, I get the Sixers need to sell tickets, but this like weird policy of Donald Trumpian dishonesty where you're just kind of like fudging the facts or not including all of the information you need to, it really does not seem to be a smart strategy long term in terms of keeping your fans invested in the franchise. Because how do we know what you're, you know, how do we know what to believe in that you're being upfront with everything, you know, that's coming out. Uh, so here's the question I want to pose to you two. First, what reason do Sixers fans have to trust Brian Colangelo heading into the trade deadline? You want to go more? Well, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Not a whole lot, obviously. Um, I think you kind of nailed it with your point about the shiftiness that you've got to be shifty, but there's a limit to it. And, and I think as <laughs> you, you, I think as Sixers fans got to ask themselves, does, does the means justify the ends? And if, if somehow Colangelo is successful in, in putting all up, putting all these schemes up and it somehow turns into a fantastic trade for him, especially with Oka, jerking Oka for around whatever, then I suppose you could be satisfied with that. But, I mean, I my, my team has Gar Foreman, <laughs> right. and I know that <laughs> if you are repetitive in your pattern and you are a compulsive liar who has no respect for fans, media, whatever, then you're, to quote South Park, then you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> and you're going to have a really bad time because you're going to lose the trust of the fans. You're going to lose the trust of opposing GMs. You're going to have a bad rep in the press. It's just not worth it in the long run so while colangelo may be able to cash in something now you have to look at the long-term view and see what kind of consequences could his actions lead to and if i'm a Sixers fan i'm not really loving playing that idea or playing that rollout because that's that sounds like a bad game yeah yeah i i mean i find it hard to disagree with anything you said. So, Sarah, I want to throw this question at you because uh, Brian Geltzeiler, uh, Hoops Critic on Twitter, a long, long enemy of process Sixers fans um, because he was a noted critic of Sam Hinkie. He's the one who published that profile uh, last last fall about Joel Embiid with the Shirley Temples, all that good stuff. (laughs) Um, He made the point on Twitter recently it's hypocritical to attack Colangelo for this shiftiness and for treating players like assets like he did with Okafor if you also supported Hinky. Do you agree with that? <laughs> oh, man. No, because Hinky, <laughs> he had a plan, and I don't, you know, yeah, he treated players like assets, but feel like he was pretty clear about what he was doing I don't think you know at least fans either they agreed with it or they didn't but I think on some level they understood what he was trying to do and there wasn't all of this like misinformation coming Mm -hmm. out um and I was gonna you know to piggyback on what Morton said it's you know obviously as a Spurs fan our organization plays a lot of stuff close to the vest 
Mm-hmm. So, and we, as fans, we respect that. So I want to allow for that, but you know, I, 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 they can't be breaking any rules, I'm assuming, or else they would have gotten in trouble. But I feel like they're blurring a line with the Sixers are with this, you know, they've come out how many times and said Ben Simmons will play this year. Yeah. Right. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, and then there's this back and forth, which, Okay, apparently they don't know, so maybe just don't come out and say that, you know, until you're sure he's coming on the floor. But, yeah, and if it is this misdirection of trying to sell tickets or whatever, I mean, if we're going to jump on coaches for these rest games, you know, and that's part of the reason Stern threw his fit at Popovich three, four years ago, whatever it was, because uh, he didn't let people know was what they really hammered him for, that technicality. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I don't see how this is better, you know, especially if, you know, a guy's been hurt and you're saying no, but he, he'll he be there at some point. <laughs> right. Well, you can't, you can't make that promise. So, I, I don't know. Yeah, as you asked initially, I, I don't think there is a lot of reason for trust, which is not a, a good habit to get in with, you know, treating your fans that way. Yeah, I think you nailed it with the misinformation part in particular, because... Yes, Hinky, you know, you can argue he treated his players like assets. You, you know, the Michael Carter-Williams trade in, in particular. You look back on that now, and it's a brilliant trade because Michael mm-hmm. Carter-Williams is mediocre, and they could turn in the number four pick. That's beside the point. But what he didn't do is leak to the media like Colangelo has done. Like, he never yeah. held a player out of a game as a negotiating <laughs> ploy, which right. is just absurd. <laughs> like, if you're hitting Hinky for treating players like assets... What Colangelo did to Jaleel Okafor is so much worse than anything that Hinky ever did. And I want to give credit to Jaleel Okafor for handling this whole situation like a professional and not blasting the organization and, you know, coming back to Boston against Boston on Wednesday. And, like, he just kind of worked his way back into the fold. You know, kudos to Brett Brown for handling this tough situation and having to be the public face for this. Um, You know, he's credited Okafor as well. So, like, I just think... It, you know, it's not a good sign when your 21-year-old center that you are quote-unquote dangling in trade talks is acting more professional than your 51-year-old general manager. <laughs> so, yeah, that's I mean... That's a point. A go- yep. I, yeah, that's a good goddamn point right there. I just really think... I, I think, Sarah, you nailed it. It's the misinformation that's killing me. Like, Hinky, mm-hmm. you know, yes, with the Drew Holiday stuff in particular, when he traded him to New Orleans and he knew he was hurt, that was shady. Uh, but other than that, they never really had these leaks in terms of players' medical updates as well. Like, there was never, like, oh, well, Joel Embiid might come back for the last 10 games last season. Like, no, he was out for the year. They said that right away. And I think, you know, if I would have more respect for them for saying, look, Ben Simmons probably isn't playing this year. If he is, that would be great. We're not expecting it. Joel Embiid's yeah. going to be out through the All-Star break. He's not playing in the All-Star game. Fine, just be up front, but don't label him for as day-to-day for three weeks because clearly he's not day-to-day at that point. <laughs> All right, uh, Mort, any final thoughts on Colangelo before we move on? No, I just realized that the Philly has missed four first seasons. Yeah. Like one from Ben, yep. one from Noel, and two from Embiid. Plus Andrew Damn, Bynum. that's well, they, well, he wasn't, like, a, a, a draft pick. Yeah, but, like, in terms so of guys who have missed a full season that, like, yeah. fans have looked forward to, starting with Andrew Bynum, it is now a, looking like a five-year run. 
So so basically, if players are like, "Oh, I'm going through a divorce. I need a year <laughs> off," you just like request a trade to the Sixers. That's that's where you're at. Mm-hmm. Man, no, I mean, look, I get it. It's it's really hard. I could also imagine like Sixers fans being. May, yeah, I'm a little bit tired of the situation, even though it's completely out of their hands, Philly's and the organization's hands. But I kind of get why Philly is going the whole Ben Simmons might play route because I, I I can sort of see the average fan going, "Hey, why are you young guys always injured? Like, why are they not <laughs> playing until they're a year in or two years in or whatever?" But like, look, you gotta still stay the course and be honest like yeah. it doesn't it doesn't really resolve anything if you promise something you can't uphold mm-hmm. like that's just gonna make it worse so so i get the fan outcry and i get the nervousness to the fan outcry but i don't get the lying the lying is just ridiculous yeah. I, I mean just look at the white house you want to copy that Come on now. <laughs> right i know exactly he's I, I guess he's learning from the best uh, yeah, so hopefully, it, you know, hopefully next time we record, they'll have traded Okafor. I can go back to being pleasantly surprised by Colangelo, but <laughs> it felt like this last month really undid a lot of the goodwill that he had built up, really just by not doing very much, you know, just by uh, being patient, which is all that fans could have asked for coming into the year. But yeah, he, he's really working to undermine all of the goodwill he built up very quickly. So fingers crossed that uh, he has a productive all-star weekend and we can have some good news to report for Sixers fans next time. Well, yeah, but well, one thing, I want to ask this to, to Sixers fans out there. I want to bring, I, I want to start a little debate here. Oh boy. Because we, I, I think we can agree that when Hinky left the organization, he had provided the team with like a treasure chest of assets, right? Yep. What is the fan reaction? I I know it's going to be negative, but what is the fan reaction going to be if Colangelo essentially wastes these assets, which is a possibility? Yeah. Like, are we talking about a boycott of the team? Like, what what kind of ex, what kind of punishment essentially are we looking at from Sixers fans? What kind of reaction? Because like for years they they obviously tanked and fans weren't happy but at least we saw the big picture in it mm-hmm. or i did in time mm-hmm. but if assets have are beginning to get wasted and the team is going to suffer long term because of it i really want to hear from sixers fans like what what are they going to do from that like what is their reaction going to be because i could imagine that being the like the the straw that broke the camel's back like no one would attend games and or am I just completely off base? Uh, it's hard to. I mean, it's hard to say only because if he wastes those assets, that probably means they're just going right back to mediocrity. Like they're, you know, he unless Embiid turns into like the next Greg Oden and Ben Simmons never gets a jump shot. Like they right. have enough built up already that like they're not going to be the Brooklyn Nets, but like maybe their ceiling is a 40 45 win team they're back into the treadmill of mediocrity where they were exactly prior that's to the that's process. actually the worst part right that's the worst scenario yeah that would be a nightmare and at that point i would hope fans boycott it until colangelo all the the entire colangelo clan gets eradicated from the franchise so uh let's hope that doesn't happen but We'll, we'll, we'll report back on the sixers next week either way because if they don't trade okafor i'm gonna have another rant ready 
but let's move on now because we have to talk about the All-Star game itself. You know, we mentioned Kevin Love is out from knee surgery, so Adam Silver named a replacement for him for the All-Star game, and he chose Carmelo Anthony. So, Mort, <laughs> as, our, as our Eastern Conference guy, what do you think about Melo as the Love replacement? Do you think he was deserving, oh. or should there have been someone else? Damn it, Adam, you chose the wrong Nick. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, like, and if it wasn't going to be a Nick, it should have been Bradley Beal. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could have ducked that. Hell, even Otto Porter would have been a better choice. Mm-hmm. Dwayne Wade, maybe? Oh, okay, no, I'm just <laughs> That's a Wade's stretch. Been bad. <laughs> Wade's been so bad defensively. So, but but no, I just I'm not feeling the mellow choice at all. It seemed like it was. It's it almost seemed like it's one of those, um, you know, lifetime achievements awards. Yeah. Still, like, yeah. Hey, let's 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 just squeeze out whatever award or whatever credentials we can get. You're like, hey, here you go. Just just take it. And it just seems so ridiculous. He wasn't a part of the All Star program for a reason to begin with. He's had a bad year. The Knicks suck. <laughs> it's just. No, man, that's just you couldn't have gone in a in a worse way, essentially. Yeah. I mean, in terms of like just raw box score numbers, he is outscoring Bradley Beal. Bradley Beal has more threes per game, but like Melo has what you would consider the numbers of an all star. He's averaging like twenty three points, six rebounds, three assists, two threes a game. Um my my thinking with it is I'm guessing it's kind of like a Sorry, you've had to put up with James Dolan for five years. Award, and especially lately, Ooh. with with like this whole Phil Jackson drama and with the James Dolan Charles Oakley stuff, I'm thinking Adam Silver basically threw Carmelo a bone and was like, you know, you're one of the public faces of our league. You've represented the Knicks for five years. I'm sorry about this. Here, <laughs> here's an All Star bid for you. Like Bradley well, Beal. Damn it! Now you're making me sympathetic. Right. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that's that's what it felt like. Honestly, it was you know, I mean, Carmel, our yeah, Carmelo's been playing well, but yeah, I feel like this is also for having Phil Jackson sniping at you every week. So <laughs> right, yeah, right. Sorry, sorry about that. And he has handled yeah. it well to his yeah. credit. So, but yeah, I, I kind of felt like Bradley Beal had a good case as mm-hmm. much as the Wizards have been surging, but it's not the way it went. Yeah. Uh, so Adam Silver gave Melo a safe space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's, that's actually that's so fitting also yeah. to Melo because he's sort of thin-skinned at times. You know, he hasn't been this season. I've got I've got to give him credit for that, but no, I, I that's actually pretty that's interesting. I hadn't thought about it that way. Thank you because now I feel better with that <laughs> choice because that's it, it it shows a little human decency if that's the case. Right. Yeah, I think yeah. I think it's fair. I'm with both of you that Bradley Beal, uh, in terms of performance, is more deserving. But you know, I, I think for Melo's maturity with handling this nonsense, I don't mind him being in the All Star game. And Bradley Beal is only 23; he's going to have plenty of chances to make one right, of these moving right. forward. Same with Otto Porter, uh, Al Horford's the other guy who might have been in there, but you know, whatever. Uh, I think. In terms of an all-star game, Al Horford is just not that type of, you know, fun, flashy player who could <laughs> yeah. go off for 50. Like, Carmelo, at least, will just pull up and shoot a bunch of absurd three-pointers. Come um, on, Al. Catch lobs. Yeah, right. Exactly. Play <laughs> defense. Uh-oh. 
We we don't do that here. Uh, all right. So more for a deep dive section this week, you sent this idea. So I'm gonna throw it, frankly, to Sarah because this is a really right up yeah. her alley. Uh, so Mort wanted to discuss why you know Golden State and Cleveland have been perceived as the championship favorites since the start of the season, but why are we sleeping on the San Antonio Spurs? They are now 43 and 13, despite losing Tim Duncan. They really might not lose 20 games this year. Kawhi's playing what you, one would argue is MVP caliber, and they've survived without Pau Gasol for the last couple of weeks. So, Sarah, what do you think about your Spurs? Are they doing their annual Spurs slip under the radar, get the number two seed, and make it to the Western Conference Finals? It's honestly, yeah, I mean, when more asked the question, you know, why are we sleeping? It's kind of a time-honored tradition. Like, we can't have an NBA season without it. So, I don't know. I appreciate when it when it's not the Spurs fan who's like, why is it? You know, because everyone thinks we're whiners anyway. So, I'm not ever going to bring it up. <laughs> it won't be me. Um, but, it, yeah, I appreciate when it comes up every now and then. I mean, to be honest, I do. I don't know how they're doing it. <laughs> really, And I've watched them closely. And I'm like, how... I don't know, but I kind of made a deal with myself at the beginning of the year because I can't remember who it was. It might have been uh, Shane Young, Adam Joseph, one of the guys who writes for six, 16 Wins a Ring now. But he said he had like a prediction for the Spurs at the beginning of the year. He said, uh, you know, I think they're going to take a significant step back, so like 50, 55 wins. And like I had to pull myself back from that. Whether you agree with it, disagree with it, whatever. The fact that somebody could say about your team significant step back <laughs> right. and 50, 55 wins is, like, absurd. Yeah. So I was like, you know what? I'm not complaining about shit this year because, <laughs> I, I'm like, we know we're spoiled, but that's ridiculous. So I'm just enjoying the ride. It's been a weird year. It, the offense is nothing like what we're used to. Actually, it's, it kind of almost throws back to the Tim Duncan MVP days and that it's a lot more plotting. But they try to get the motion going still when they can. Um, but I mean, you look at them right now; they're they're they have the number one defense for all the talk about you know adding Pow, having Lamarcus, losing Tim, uh, Kawhi's numbers being weird. You know they're at 101 points per 100 possessions that they're giving up, and they're the number five offense at 110 points per 100 possessions. So they're right there in that contender spot, obviously the second best record in the league. I don't know. I, I, a lot of it goes to Kawhi, which we will get to shortly. Yes. He has been incredible. Indeed. Um, he's just carrying a lot of the load. They still have a bench that's performing well. It's weird because I think with Powell going down, the offense has looked really strange. And if I had any... Um, you know, issue or concern about, of course, it's the Warriors. So, but, but I don't know that they'll have ultimately the firepower to really stay with a team like the Warriors. Of course, not too many teams do. Uh, I think they'll defend them pretty well, but it, we'll just have to see when Powell comes back because the offense has taken a hit um, Mm -hmm. with him on the sidelines. So maybe they can get it going a little bit more, but, but I mean, they're right there. They have as good a chance as anyone who isn't the Warriors, I would say. So, Mort, I'm going to throw this to you now since you want, you were the one who brought this up. Do yeah. you think they have 
the the firepower on both ends, offensively and defensively, to take down the Warriors in a seven game series. Yeah, I was kind of fearing that question a little bit. <laughs> yep. Here's well, because I I don't want to say no, they don't because in a seven game series everything can happen, especially if the Spurs is, if the Spurs are involved. Sure. And I think Kawhi's twenty six point average is kind of being slept on a little bit, and I and I actually think it's it's a little worse than what he can do. I think he's really he's picking his spots. Like when I'm watching games, he's not going for thirty. Like that's mm-hmm. not his mo. He's taking open shots. He's driving when he's open. He's just he's utilizing what the defense gives him. He's not going all Kobe. I'm gonna jack up seventeen shots in the first half. He's he's doing everything in the flow of the game. Now put him in the seven game setting, where at times if things get tough he will have to manufacture shots out of his own ass, and I think he could do it. Even if he pushes himself and he forces up shots, I think he could end up taking high percentage shots. It's the supporting cast I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. I am concerned about LaMarcus Aldridge a little bit in a seven-game series. I think he's he's kind of flying a little bit under the radar. He's averaging, what, 17.5 points, 7.3 rebounds in 32 minutes. Could be a little bit better. I mean, it, I just don't think the volume has been there for him this year. He's just kind of being a decoy. Mm-hmm. So I would definitely need to see him in a in a playoff series step up and you know go back to old school Portland Lamarcus. And then I want to see Patty Mills just continue what he's doing right now. He's just he is Steve Kerr on steroids. <laughs> like really, that's that's the role he has. Sarah, I'm gonna throw this back to you because this is this is like my biggest concern. Tony Parker. He went scoreless, I think, against the Knicks in 31 minutes, mm-hmm. and he just seems to have these games where he provides next to nothing. Like, and then the following evening he can score 17 and dish five. Right? It's just it seems like there's a lot of inconsistency with him right now. So how do you handle that going into like the playoffs? What do you do there? How do you even game plan with him if you're Pop and you know that there's a risk of him playing 30 minutes and not producing a whole lot? That's that's kind of what's weird about this whole this whole season really. I mean, they're in kind of this transitional phase and it's kind of I'll talk about it a little bit in uh Kawhi's MVP discussion as well because a lot of the guys he's up against are more the de facto ball handlers or the point guards for their team whereas Kawhi isn't he's still sharing some of those possessions with Tony and Tony to his credit does a terrific job still setting up LaMarcus a lot running the pick and pop I mean he's a master at that kind of thing Mm. but I think it's it's tough for him to understand I remember Tim talking about last year that he was even more than halfway through the season Still didn't quite know what his role was at that point. And I think Tony knows, but it's just from game to game, it's very different. You know, some games he's just getting a couple like open corner threes in a game or he's like he doesn't, you know, know because he can still hit that that pull up out of that pick and pop if they if they leave him. You know, he can still be aggressive at times, but he's not doing it every game. But on the flip side, you know, the more Kawhi has the ball, the better because he really is. Spurs' best chance to score on every single possession, so it's just 
it's weird. And thankfully I'm not the one who has to answer those questions, <laughs> but, but, um, I, I don't know. I mean, that's, what's going to be weird. Like you said, the supporting cast is kind of the question. They still have a bench that's performing well, but, and I made this point a few weeks ago, like if they're really going to go far this year, which I had no expectation of, but it's going to be guys like Jonathan Simmons, you know, he, mm. you, he would be someone that you would pick as an X factor, but he really can't even be that. He's actually got to play well for them to beat a team, obviously, like the Warriors, if they were to get that far. So that's really what it's going to be. Kawhi's going to be great, I have no doubt. And then LaMarcus, too, has been a question mark. He was, he's been slumping for like two or three weeks. He had a, a really nice game right before the All-Star break. So I was going to bring up uh, about the Magic when we were talking about the trades because, oh, God. you know, they were trying to bring back well, make not even bring back, make the super big lineup happen, and and then Wednesday night they were guarding Lamarcus with Jeff Green, <laughs> and they kind of helped him, I think, come out of his slump. So we appreciate yep. that. But it's you know anyway, so yeah, Lamarcus is going to be a guy if he's he's getting a lot of those shots. Kawhi has now come, become really good at getting him that elbow jumper as well, mm. but he has not made a lot lately. So if they go down, whole different team. Spurs looked. 10 million times better Wednesday night than they've looked in weeks all because he was making his shot, but it's going to going to come down to that. seems like people are also sleeping a little bit on Danny green, right? Because like, remember last year, last year he was last year. He was slumping. He was rough bit. last year. Yeah. He, he, he year. had a, he had a bad year. Let's just call it like it is. And I, I've, I've seen this trend of people believing that that, bad year has some, somehow continued and I'm like have you even watched him shoot this year he's shooting like 40% from downtown anytime he has volume. a bad game people will come out of the woodwork to say man right. is he ever going to shoot well again it's like where have you been the whole year but yeah, yeah. that's Danny's plight unfortunately <laughs> it feels like Robert Covington the Spurs version of Robert Covington <laughs> alright since we've alluded a lot to the MVP talk let's we're going to move yeah, right into our awards updates so this is who we would pick for each major award as of the all-star break there's about a third of a season left so we did this the first third we'll do this again and then we'll give our final picks at the end of the year so let's start right away with mvp sarah make the case for your boy Kawhi, please <laughs> all right and it's really it's really gonna be tough this year but it's fun and i'm enjoying it because um, mm-hmm. there really are legitimately four people i think who could win it and I, I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but that's me keeping Kevin Durant out. So if you're the kind of person who doesn't give a shit about him going to the Warriors and, <laughs> you know, just appreciates what he's doing on the floor, then there's five. Um, but it, it's going to come down to an argument, and we talked about this in the beginning of the year, of, like, what's the real criteria? You know, is it is it record? Is it efficiency? Is it, you know, who's the most valuable to their team, period? So... <laughs> That's that's going to be the argument this year, and it will be interesting to see what wins out because Kawhi, I mean, obviously, okay, Russ is averaging a triple-double, which is ridiculous. Uh, Harden is not far off of that. He's like He's got 8.3 rebounds per game. Everything else, he's double figures. Kawhi, he keeps moving up. He's creeping up because Powell's been out, and he's been carrying a heavy load, and he's got all these 30-point game explosions. Uh, so he's crept up from 10th in scoring to 9th to 8th right now. He's at about 26 per game, actually even with LeBron at the moment. 
he's also at 5.9 rebounds, 3.3 assists. Uh, the assist is really the biggest gap. Although I can tell that's going to be my next. I haven't come out with a Kawhi article in a while. <laughs> that will have to be my next thing, I can tell, because uh, now the argument is that he, he, he's not a playmaker. Granted, okay. he's not LeBron. Uh, and he, But like I said, he's also not playing uh, essentially starting point guard for his team like the people he's up against. Mm. He actually is really coming along as a playmaker, and so I would be happy to, to point out how soon. Mm. But um, that'll be the thing. I think those numbers are going to creep up as well. But, yeah, his raw assist numbers aren't going to be there with the other guys. But then you look at efficiency, he's obviously mere percentage points off of a 50-40-90 year right now. Uh, which Harden and Russell are not close. Yeah. And there again, if you're if you're gonna look at the uh, assist numbers, then you also got to look at the turnover numbers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now he's not handling the ball as much as those guys, but they're both pretty high up there. They both have over five turnovers a game. Kawhi is at two. Um, you look at team record. Obviously, Kawhi's team is second. He's got five fewer losses than Harden, and good lord, twelve fewer than. Russ. Yeah. Also, player efficiency rating, they are all right there. They're top three. You got Russ is number one with 29.5. Kawhi, 28.2. Harden, 27.6. So they're right there. And honestly, we got to make the case for LeBron because he's right there with all these guys as well. Mm -hmm. So, man, it's going to be interesting. Uh, LeBron's efficiency as well is like off the charts except for his free throw shooting is pretty dismal at the moment. He's at, what, 68.9%. But he's over 50% from the field, and he's 389 from three this year, which yes. I think has gone a little overlooked. So it's just it's an insane year, and I can't wait to see how it plays out. But, look, the Kawhi MVP train is starting to roll, so <laughs> you guys got to jump on board with me. All right, Mort, did she convince you, or do you have a, a different pick for MVP at this point? Well, you're forgetting who you're talking to here. Who did I choose prior to the season, huh? Are we all just going to cape? And I was ridiculed. We're all just going to cape for the ones that we chose at the beginning of the year? (laughs) Pretty much. Okay, good. All right, now, here's the thing, though. I I did waffle on it afterwards because he did not have enough of a scoring punch to start the season. I think before 20, in, in the 2016 part of the season, he was about 23 and a half, maybe 24. That sounds about right, right? Yeah, yeah. he was around yeah, there. Yeah, I think so. Okay. In the 20 games he's played in 2017, though, 28.2 points a game in just 33.6 minutes. That's <laughs> damn near a point a minute. Come on now. Yeah. 5.7 rebounds, 3.7 assists. He's shooting 51 from the field, 39 from three. 70 or 86.6 from the line which is actually below his season average which means there's even potential to see that crack 90 on 7.9 attempts per game one and a half steal one block just 2.2 turnovers and only 1.7 fouls even oh. like come on wow. he is he is so close to perfection right yeah. now and he is understanding that that the larger role that he has inherited that it kind of suits him. He's realizing just how good, goddamn good that he is right now. So I wouldn't be surprised to see him average damn near 30 for the rest of the year, which would bring his average up to 
roughly 27, 27 and a half point a game mm-hmm. when all is said and done with the season. And you know what? Then he's there. Then he's mm-hmm. there. Then I don't care about Russ's triple-double. Then I don't care about James Harden's many, many assists. Because I care about Kawhi being the best two-way player in the game, which I've said before, and people are all up in my grill. What about LeBron? Well, you know what? I love LeBron. His ability is amazing. But he's not as consistent a defender as Kawhi is. And I don't care about the on and off numbers. Yeah. Just watch the damn game. He yeah. gobbles people up. <laughs> it's insane. Right. I mean, yeah, come but... on. People gave that so much press. Like, yeah. you know, the defense was actually better when Kawhi was on the bench. Is he an overrated defender? No, <laughs> come on. Stop reading the goddamn numbers just like. Back him up with the with watching the games. That wasn't the case. Right. That was just bad rotation, you know, coincidential situation. Like, well, and I think we right should there. give him credit for the fact that teams are literally game planning to remove him from the right. from the right. play. Right. You know, I mean that's that doesn't happen. That's insane. But that's how much respect they have for him. And for all of that, his defensive rating is one one point six. That's ninth, and his defensive win share is three point two at eighth right now. And he's tied See? with Russell for eighth in like steals on the season. I think he's got ninety two steals on the season right now, which he's gonna just continue to gobble up. And he doesn't gamble, he just rips the ball out of people's hands. So yeah. <laughs> he's yeah, I didn't even mention defense, yeah. but yeah. He's he's making up for whatever you want to talk about as a playmaker. Not only is he setting his teammates up, but he's also doing so much more on the other end. So I mean <laughs> he's got a heck of an argument. Yeah, I, I, he has. I think defense is really the the big selling point for him, right? Like, because I mean, LeBron, you can make that too, but like Russ and James Harden, it's almost purely offense with rebounds mixed in. But like <laughs> most of their case is just they are without them, their teams would be like basically the Phoenix Suns, like they would be a fifteen win team. But they have like they're just such the integral like head of the snake that they their teams absolutely need them to run any sort of functional offense. Whereas Kawhi, like, yeah, Sarah, to your point, like teams do not game plan defensively for wings. Like they do for mm-hmm. big men. You know, they, if you're facing a Rudy Gobert or a Joel Embiid, you, you might tell your guards to like, Hey, don't, don't try to drive into the paint as much. Like you're probably going to get your shot blocked, but for wings, it's not like, Hey, you're playing Jimmy Butler or Paul George. Let's change our entire offensive scheme. It's like, well, we're gonna let one guy get swallowed up. But for Kawhi, it's like, oh man, you know, there it goes. We just have to write this one guy completely off. So, yeah, I mean, honestly, I think right now I would put LeBron fourth, and I think the one, two, three with Kawhi, Russ, and James Harden is really a matter of preference. Like, if you're wowed by numbers the most, you're going Russ. If you're if you focus mostly on, you know who's the best two way player, you're going Kawhi. I mm-hmm. I'm going to still cape for Harden, not only because he was my preseason pick, and I so desperately want that to be right to make fun of you guys for mocking me so much. Uh, but I mean, more. I remember you asked me this at the start of the year. You know, it was like, well, why are you picking Harden if you know Russ? You think is going to have better numbers, which is the case, but. I think narrative is going to work in Harden's favor this year because Harden yeah. two years ago was the runner up last year. The Rockets were just so disappointing. And, you know, there was the like chemistry concerns with Dwight Howard. 
Um, you know, is James Harden like willing to be a leader? This year, he's kind of putting all of that to rest. Uh, he's right. made Mike D'Antoni like look like a functional NBA coach again after his disastrous runs in New York and LA. Um, you know, Eric Gordon and Ryan Anderson are both playing better than they ever did in New Orleans, and a large part of that is James Harden. Like his sw- his switch to the position of full time point guard is going to help his case. And then the Rockets have just so vastly overachieved from their preseason projections. Like they have the fourth best record in the league right now. You know, not even when we were talking about that, I said like, yeah, I think the Rockets are going to be a little bit better than OKC. Like maybe they're fifth and OKC seventh. You know, I didn't expect them to be third in the West heading into the All-Star break. So if they can keep that up, if they can stay ahead of the Clippers, even once Chris Paul comes back, then I think Harden's going to have a real case. But, I mean, if anything, I think this conversation shows that it's still anyone's game two-thirds of the way through the season. It's not, you know, (laughs) we've been saying this all year, but it is not like last season when Steph Curry was the unanimous MVP. Like, this is going to be a very razor-thin, close race. Um, So Do allow me a rebuttal, kind sir. Please, please, please. Because you just said something that pissed me off. Uh (laughs) Uh-oh. You said that Kawhi's calling card, not you didn't say calling card, but his hook more or less was defense, right? Uh-huh. And you said that all yeah, Harden's narrative is what's going to sell it. Well, let me change the goddamn narrative. Okay. <laughs> I'm looking right now at the per 36 numbers, just scoring-wise. Mm-hmm. Harden's at 28.7 points a game per 36 minutes. Mm-hmm. Kawhi, 27.8. So there's a difference of just 0.9 points per 36 minutes. Mm -hmm. Now let's look at true shooting percentage. Because Harden, as we know, is an efficient scorer. His true shooting percentage is 61.5. Let's go to Kawhi. Well, well, shit. 61.9. That's better. So Kawhi, just being 0.9 points behind Harden, while being more efficient and playing all-world defense... Like, his calling card is no longer defense. This is a narrative that needs to end. He is right now a very similar scorer to the guy who many believe is the league's best scorer in James Harden. It's a fair point. So let's let's give Kawhi the offensive credit that he is so sorely due. Because we're looking we we still have this idea that Kawhi, oh, he's he's the Pippen type. Mm-hmm. He's the guy who, that when Mike left, oh, Pippen, he's like the twenty-two point guy. No, no, this Kawhi is so much more than that. He is an efficient Kobe. Ooh, that's a good way of this putting is, it. <laughs> look, this is where we're going, offensively speaking. He is an efficient Kobe Bryant. I am going to take an efficient Kobe Bryant over James Harden every goddamn day of the week. And it's not even close. Oh, so I get what you're saying. Close. You cannot say <laughs> Kawhi Leonard is not running away with the MVP right now. You cannot. No, no, no. I'm saying what I'm taking. Oh, though. yeah. Like if you if put if you put team. James Harden, right, yeah. right. Okay. If okay. you put James Harden and Kawhi Leonard uh, up against each other, and you're standing right there, and you have to pick one of them to start a team, yeah. Based on the based on the current stats of them right now. Uh-huh. I am picking Kawhi Leonard so fast you wouldn't even hear me say it. Well, working like, working right in your favor is the fact the league is inundated with strong point guards and wings are, 
you know, you, you've got a couple elite wings, but not nearly. You you could find a lot more elite point guards than you can elite wings. So in terms that's, of that's that's fair. In terms definitely of position, uh, yeah, yeah, or positional rarity, I should say, Kawhi definitely gets the advantage there. Either way, well, <laughs> we will be debating this a lot. I'm sure as the season yeah, comes we down, because <laughs> uh, we have a war going yeah. here regarding the MVP. I love yeah. it. Well, it's oh. a, I mean, it, you know, we it's been a blowout the last year and even the year before. I Curry looked. No, it was between Curry and Harden, but Curry looked like the front runner the whole year. So it's fun to have. I think we're just like getting three years of MVP voting. Like (laughs) we're finally uh, getting all of that rage out. So let's move on. It's fun again. Let's move on to rookie of the year. Uh, uh, Let me just ask this before we take our picks. If Joel Embiid comes back and plays 15 more games this year, do, do we agree that he would be the consensus rookie of the year? Yeah, I think so. Wart, you look you look a little pained. <laughs> well, I'm actually I'm, I'm going to make you happy now. Oh, okay. I think even if he doesn't return this year, oh, that he is the rookie of the year. Wow. See, I Sim- I'm worried about yeah. that, but I well, I'd like mm-hmm. to hear your rationale. Well, he is so much better mm-hmm. than everyone else <laughs> right. right now. It's the the difference is so ridiculous. It's not even worth mentioning. I mean, look, I think it was Patrick Ewing who won a Rookie of the Year award when he played 50, 49 or fifty games his I, rookie season. I think I want to say it was Kyrie who had the fewest with fifty, but Ewing might have. He might have because it was a shortened season. I think. But I'm pretty no, sure. No, no, I think it's the other way around, right? Oh, is Ka- it? Didn't Kyrie come in into the? Uh, he was oh, drafted that might in be, 2011. Yeah. Yeah, 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 you're right, you're right, right. My bad, my yeah. bad. Yeah. Yep. So, so Ewing missed 32 games. Right. Yeah. All right. Embiid might be looking at missing 50 games, so yeah. that's reversed. But still, I mean, when you look at the numbers, when you look at the impact, this is a 7-2 guy who's draining threes, doing Hakim Olajuwon, dream shakes, whatever. <laughs> I mean. Clearly, he's the best player in this rookie class, and I mean, you've got to reward that, even if he's going down. I, I mean, I know that's against conventional wisdom, but mm-hmm. I am so going and beat here. I don't even care. Like, I love and I love your second pick. I, I saw the list that you made. Mm-hmm. Like, Malcolm Brockton could yep. be second on hand. I am not sleeping on Malcolm Brockton at all. He's been terrific. There are a lot of guys who are who are getting their their feet. Uh, moved on like Marcus Chris has also come alive yep. you know there are a lot of guys you know starting to heat up but you know Embiid is just he just he was just special right yeah. I mean I mean or is right. sorry yeah, that was, yeah. I, I didn't don't mean say, to present that in past tense. Yeah, he, he still is special <laughs> and he will be special for the next 15 years please and thank you yeah um, sorry <laughs> yeah I mean I, I think there is a fair case it's really just the historical precedent that's working against him especially if he comes back you know, you have to figure they're still going to limit him in a back, on back-to-backs and hold him out on one. So, like, he would be making history in all likelihood if he wins because he probably will play the fewest games of anyone to win. Working in his mm-hmm. favor is how bad the rest of the rookie class is or how, like, unimpressive, yeah. I should say. Um, yeah. You know, Brandon Ingram has cracked the starting lineup lately, but he's not doing all that much. Jalen Brown. Like, most of the top, the other top lottery picks are either just on the fringes of their rotations or like they're starting to work their way in, but they're just not making a huge impact. Whereas like, I mean, for the month of January in particular, 
the Sixers came and went with them beat. Like if he played, they were good. If he didn't play, they were garbage, and there was no point watching them. Uh, now, recently, since he's been out, they're starting to find their feet without him. Like Nerlens Noel has been a lot better since he came back into the rotation. But I mean, you, you the the Sixers were fun again to watch because of Embiid. So for that reason, I would hope that you know even if he only plays 31 games. He would be rookie of the year. I don't think that will be the case. The one guy, aside, you know, Mal- I, Malcolm Brogdon, right now would be my pick if I had to pick someone that wasn't Embiid. But the one guy I'm keeping an eye on is Darius Arch because he's coming alive lately, and uh, you know, it looks like two. Ursan Ilyasova was playing really well earlier in the season alongside Embiid. Since Embiid has gone out, Ilyasova has not been as efficient and Dario has really come on especially in the last six games which I will talk about a little bit later um so you know if you know the trade deadlines Thursday like if the Sixers can find a taker for Ilyasova Saric suddenly has a wide open opportunity at the four especially if Ben Simmons you know probably isn't going to play this year uh so you know watch out for Saric as a dark horse in the MVP especially if um Embiid can't come back this year. Sarah, good shout. Sarah, do you have uh, any thoughts on who you would pick if not for Embiid? You know, I, I agree with you. It should be Brogdon if not Embiid. All right, I like it. Uh, so let's <laughs> move. Let's move on to Sixth Man of the Year, which is hopefully will not be as contentious as MVP, but is likewise <laughs> pretty wide open right now. So, uh, Sarah, I'm going to go with you first. Who who would you pick right now as your Sixth Man of the Year? You know, it's kind of tight. Like, I guess it, it probably will default to team record, but mm-hmm. uh, Lou Williams is actually doing just a little bit more and a little less time than what Eric Gordon is doing. Yep. Um, but yeah, I think Eric Gordon will get it, not only because Houston is so much better, but just also because of, you know, the fact that he's had a lot of struggles in his career and he's been really steady and consistent for them mm-hmm. this year, so... I'd be happy to see him win it, honestly. Yeah, me too. What about you, Mort? Yeah. Well, it's very difficult to argue against Sarah's point here. Lou Williams is sporting a 24.1 PER in the season. He has a true shooting percentage of almost 61. Like, those metrics, those are actually all-star worthy. Mm-hmm. And consider the fact that he he's not a great defender, but... it. He's not like Isaiah Thomas, James Harden back. <laughs> right. I mean, so if he had played on a better team and and actually gotten more minutes as a starting two guard or something, he he would have been an all star candidate. So it's I like the Lou Williams selection in that regard, but the narrative you mentioned narrative earlier in, the, in terms of the MVP mm-hmm. that goes in in Eric Gordon's favor yep. because we all love a redemption story, right? Yeah. I mean. And and let's not sleep on the fact that he's also absolutely balling when Harden's off the court. Right. Like then he becomes their number one option, and he's taking over and doing whatever is necessary, really stepping into his offensive game. So it's 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 a toss up in terms of who's going to win it. I think Lou has the better season, mm-hmm. but I think Eric Eric Gordon is the better player. If that makes any sort of sense. Yeah, that does. Yeah. Yeah, I think... And then with with Gordon having the narrative, then I think it's him. Right, yeah. I, I think yeah. those are definitely the two 
at least that I can think of, the two front runners for the award. And I'm with you guys. I think Gordon wins it, not necessarily because his production is better than Lou Williams, because they're frankly about even. Mm-hmm. Um, and Lou Williams is doing it in much less time. Like he's, he's what, like 18 points in 24 minutes a game. Like it's yeah. it's insane. Yeah. And he's leading all Lakers in terms of win shares. I mean, if not for Lou Williams, the Lakers would be tragically bad this year. Um, so for that reason, I'm almost inclined to go with Lou. But for the narrative reason, I'm taking Eric Gordon. Also, I have a sneaky suspicion that Lou Williams will be playing for another team come Friday, at which point that might jeopardize his six-man chances just because you know, it might take him a little while to find his niche on his new team. He might not be getting as many shots. So on and so forth, but right Spurs, Spurs. I want him on the Spurs. <laughs> that would be fun. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like Cleveland. You know, they're the ones who say they need a playmaker so badly they don't really have anything else to trade. Washington would be a fun one because uh, their bench has just been so Ooh. damn bad. Like I don't know. Oh, you just found it, Brian. That's a lovely one. I know. I know. Like if they gave up their first round pick this year for Lou Williams. Oh, I'm digging that. Right? I am really digging that. Yeah. That would be great. I mean, look, Lou on a permanent basis right now in per 36 is scoring 27.7. That's Kawhi. Right, yeah, we were just talking about, yeah, that's like Kawhi at James Harden level, exactly. Yeah. Yep, you're welcome, Ernie Grunfeld. Got it done. Um, all right, so let's move on to most improved player. This is also... Uh, Suddenly, a much more interesting race, I would say. So, Morton, you're the one who told, talked me into Greek Freak in the first third of the year. Are you still sticking yeah. with our boy Giannis? Well, how can you not? <laughs> like, what he's doing right, right now at that age is just ridiculous. But he's getting some competition from uh, Nikola Jokic. Mm-hmm. And Otto Porter is a fair call as well. Uh, I know you wrote both of them up in our, our pre podcast email mm-hmm. as per use um so so the, it's a nice trio of improved guys but i can't you, you know me i've been i've been against having like high highly drafted players in in this category because they're expected to improve right and yeah like Giannis is one pick outside the lottery <laughs> he's drafted 15th so in that in that sense he should count but it's just when you're drafted for what was it 40 41st Jokic. as Jokic? Uh, yeah. yeah. Second, second round, yeah. I think, I think 40, 41st, I think. Um, like, no one expected that. That means teams passed him, up, passed him up twice. Right. So that just, that makes it more, I guess, romantic. Yeah. So I would I would kind of like to see that happen, just, just because I want to romanticize about it a little <laughs> bit. But, you know, Giannis has obviously earned it. He's, he's, you know, putting, you know, just burning the league up and it's going to be his league like next year. Yeah. It, I'm not even, I'm so terrified of seeing what Giannis <laughs> is going to put up next year. I know. Like I could totally see like 32, eight and eight, like Michael's season. Yeah. If he ever adds a three pointer, it's over. We just need to back it right. up and go home. Um, Sarah, who would you pick for most approved? It's, it's a, this is a tough one for me personally, but because I like Jokic so much, but yeah. I still think that Giannis is, you know, he's the front runner for sure, and he's so good on on both sides of the ball. 
like mm. you, like you guys said, he's, he hasn't even become a totally consistent shooter yet, so that will be absolutely terrifying. Um, I have seen some people arguing. I know Morton doesn't like, uh, you know, if you're a relatively high pick for you to be in this argument. Then I've, I've seen other people arguing they don't like second-year players for this. Do you guys think that matters at all? Hmm. Are they saying that because you're just expected to make such a big jump from rookie to sophomore season? I don't know if that's it or they feel like you could even improve more so they want you to be further into your career. I don't know. That's interesting. That Yeah, it actually is. I I hadn't really put a whole lot of thought into it. I mean, I guess there's some merit to the idea, but if you explode from your rookie season to your sophomore season, why shouldn't you, like be rewarded with that so yeah. that seems kind of ridiculous to me but yeah no i i would I, I wouldn't support that line of thinking at all no and not even i mean Jokic struggled the first like through first month and a half of this season because they were playing him with mm-hmm. nurkic and it didn't really work all that oh, well right. so yeah. like until yeah. the middle of december he wasn't putting up you know <laughs> as someone who owns him in a keeper league uh he wasn't putting up the numbers i expected and then they benched nurkic and put, promoted jokic and now all of a sudden you'll have to pry him from my cold dead hands like he's putting up <laughs> triple doubles against the warriors so i you know i'm with you guys i i think it's giannis's award to lose uh, especially with jabari out for the year now if the bucks are going to keep their playoff hopes alive giannis needs to put up just preposterous numbers which i think he's going to do uh, that said, I think Jokic probably is going to finish second, and then my boy Otto Porter will be third. Mm. Um, all right, so let's go to Defensive Player of the Year. Another one where there is no clear front runner, unless unless you guys want to cape for Kawhi here. So I'm going to throw this one to you first, Sarah. Who do you have for Defensive Player of the Year? I'm going to tell you who I think is going to win it. Okay. Not necessarily who I would pick, but I think Draymond's going to win this year. I, oh. I think it's his year. I just, just kind of felt the winds blowing that way since the beginning of the year. Right. Um, and he, you know, he's obviously, he's always been deserving the last three years. He's been right up there with Kawhi. Um, mm-hmm. It's hard for me to ever pick against Kawhi for it, though. Uh, and I just, I know Rudy Gobert, you know, a lot of people are picking him this year. I I don't think it's his this year. Um I need to watch them again more, though. Like, I saw them a little bit in the beginning of the season. And just the way that they were covering pick and rolls, I did not love. And I don't think it was even his fault. I think that's how he was told to play them. But he was sagging really deep, like, as if he was Shaq, which is not super helpful. Um, But then you look at the way that they're defending teams. They're almost, like, taking teams back to you know, mid-2000s defenses. So it's, it's pretty damn impressive especially with pace the way it is this this year he he's totally turning teams back so he's definitely got an argument but i think it's probably between Kawhi and draymond and i think draymond is gonna win okay that's fair uh yeah more how about you where do you see this that's that's definitely fair logic right there because you know there were a lot of people who thought draymond was cheated out of one of those right yeah so so i could see that definitely playing a, a part oh but i i do i do want to see rudy gobert get the award mm-hmm. and i agree sir the narrative here is going to change everything um but I, I i i i think rudy has been so deserving 
like he's he's playing old school basketball like like you alluded to mm. he he's really just taking shots away from the rim which is like the most high percentage shots and he can even on occasion switch out to shorter players and his length is just bothering everyone mm-hmm. he's he's so cat quick for a guy 72 i just i'm mesmerized when i see him play uh the the when he's really in tune with the game and he has these mental lapses at times but when he when he doesn't have those and he's just like he feels the game my goodness you can't even get like close to him and he'll block the shit out of him. right right so so i'm really dicking what he's doing for utah this year and god help utah if he goes down because yeah. their entire defense would just oof I would they I would just drown. That would be the end. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so I have him as if you could we should change it up and say like the most most valuable defensive player. Hmm. Like that would be interesting because that would change it up a little bit. Yeah. Because then yeah I, I I'm with you, uh, Sarah, in thinking Draymond probably will win, but more I'm with you in thinking that Rudy Gobert <laughs> should win. Uh, hmm. I like I'm not gonna say. We should just look at defensive win shares, and that's it, because James Harden is 15th in the league in defensive win shares. <laughs> <laughs> so clearly it is not the end-all, be-all for defensive statistics, but Rudy Gobert does lead everyone in that. He has the second-highest block percentage in the league. I mean, you know, defensive player of the year tends to come from a team with one of the best defenses. Spurs are top, and then Warriors and Jazz are tied for second with their, like, .6 points per 100 possessions. Uh, behind the Warriors. So, like, Kawhi, Rudy, Draymond, any of these three are good picks. And, like, like MVP, like uh, most improved player, like sixth man of the year, it's going to come down in the final third of the season. But I would give Gobert the edge just because, Mort, as you said, like, Utah's entire defense is reliant on having that rim protector to cover up any mistakes. And it's not, you know, Gordon Haywood's been playing defense really well this year. George Hill has as well. It's not like, you know, Utah, their only good defender is Gobert, but he does erase a lot of mistakes at the rim. So for that reason, I would go him. Uh, So let's bag out these last two. Coach of the year. Sarah, I'm going to make you happy. I'm taking Pop just because I'm convinced at this point he could take like a JV middle school team and probably get 35 wins in the NBA. Like, I don't, I do not know how he has this team with this roster as the second best team in the league. No offense to the Spurs. Cause like he's got, you know, they have a lot of fun, promising players. You know, you've been caping for Davis Bertans the whole season. The June Murray's playing really well, but it's just like, I don't understand how they, When's the last time they didn't win 50 games? It's in the 90s. <laughs> like they're, they're, There's like an 18-year-old kid out there that's never seen the Spurs win fewer than 50 games. So for that reason, I'm doing pop. What about you, Mort? Yeah. Yeah. For a brief moment, I considered D'Antoni just because of what he's achieved in Houston. But, you know, I've, I've always said the coach of the year, and I'm being, I, this is a double standard of mine because you could argue that the MVP should go to the best player every year, but whatever. Um, coach of the year for me is always the best coach. Mm-hmm. And that's Pop. Like, Pop should have, like, what, 10? <laughs> right, yeah. He really should have. I mean, when you when he retires, then one day we're going to look back and we're going to regret that he ends up with, like, 
what what does he have now? Three, two or three? I think it's uh, three. Something? Three. Huh? Yeah. Three? Yeah. All right. Well, he probably should have had five, six, seven. Yeah. Maybe even eight. Yeah. And so I, I'm I'm all in on give Pop what he deserves. So just dear media, everyone <laughs> out there with a vote, just ignore whatever narrative is playing in and just give Pop the damn vote. Just do it. Yeah. Because you'll regret it. Or just rename the award after him. If you're not going to give it to him, just call it the Greg that Popovich too. Coach of the Year Award. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Sarah, do you, are you going to, as the Spurs fans, are you going to disagree with us as Pop? You know, usually I don't look at him for this award. I think probably because I'm aware of my biases and I, sure. so I kind of look away from him. But And I think, Morton, at the beginning of the year, didn't we both pick Thibodeau? But that yeah. didn't yeah, sure did. work out. Um, don't tell anyone come on (laughs) well yeah I mean I was trying I was trying to not pick pop but at this point it's pretty hard for me to not I I don't see anyone else who really has a great Mm. case Bolster's doing a really great job with Miami right now that's true Carlisle is you know he's got the Mavs coming back (laughs) from the dead Uh, so I always think he's one of the best in the league as well but yeah I, I think pop has emerged as as the front runner at this point. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, usually, you know, I don't know if a guy's going to win an award because he coached a crappy roster to the number eight seed, especially when like (laughs) pop is coaching Kawhi and like a bunch of kind of, you know, like they have talent. still. I'm not going to say he's playing with no one, but no one expected this team to win 55 games. I'll say that much. Like we all picked the Clippers to finish ahead of the Spurs. The Spurs look pretty solidly in second place. So, Oh, right, we did. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, let's just go to... Why do you always bring up something that makes us look like idiots, Brian? <laughs> Yo, we, we picked Kawhi and Harden Hey, for that MVP. was the trendy pick. So yeah, no, that's true. I don't think we can look like <laughs> idiots right. unless that's everyone right. looks like idiots. <laughs> that's true. All right, so executive of the year. Uh, Sarah, who do you have for this one? Uh, I'm still Dennis Lindsay. I, I like the jazz a lot. Obviously, Daryl Morey's got a really good argument, too, though. But, but I, I prefer the jazz team. Okay, that's fair. Uh, Mort, how about you? Executive of the year. I think it should. Yeah, I think it should be a sarcastic kind of vote, and then go to Gar. <laughs> just and I think the reasoning in the in, in you know in the press conference should be like Gar has just exemplified professionalism at every possible level of their the NBA's infrastructure. She's been such a great job with journalists, handled player <laughs> issues so well, just built a team that fits so beautifully together. Just reinvented the wheel, basically. I, just, I, I yeah, why not? No, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Brian. I know who you got. That's Daryl Morey. Yeah. Like, could it be anyone else at this point? I mean, he took a gamble on two guys who had severe injury histories mm-hmm. and turned them into huge components for Houston. And just look, I don't buy into the James Harden as a point guard thing. He's playing alongside Patrick Beverly. He's He's still a two guard. He just handles the ball a lot more. But it's the fact that he just set the playoff play up for him in the way that he did. Yeah, he just opened up everything. He just surrounded James with shooters, and and not just you know not just any shooter shooters who could shoot from like five or six feet beyond because he knew that would give them an advantage. Mm-hmm. He just he took it to a whole another another level. He knew that what what he was going to get with Mike D'Antoni in there. And he just gave him the perfect roster to work with. So hats off to Daryl Morey. Um, and 
let's also be honest, there's a bit of a redemption story there because he hadn't been doing like the best job in the last couple of years for Houston, wasting a couple of assets here and there, not really making the best moves. Like he more or less gave up uh, Terrence Jones and and Domenzas Montiunas, mm-hmm. both first round draft picks. Like he didn't get anything in return for those guys, so those are wasted picks. And somehow he just redeemed himself. Yeah. Uh, I got to respect that. Yeah, that's that's my guy too. I think, Len, Sarah, you're right. Lindsay does have a very legitimate argument because that Jazz team, you know, we've said it all year. They're probably the deepest team in terms of, like, actual NBA rotation player talent. Like, they have realistically 11 or 12 guys who could play, you know, <laughs> for the Sixers right now or the Nets, <laughs> God forbid. Um but yeah, I'm with Mort and choosing Maury. Uh, you know, we you Mort, you hit all the big ones, but also the Nene signing was kind of sneaky good for them because he played big minutes when uh, Clint Capella went down. Like I don't know that Montrezl Harrell would have been okay by himself. Like having kind of that platoon with Harrell and Nene was really kept them afloat with Capella out. Uh, so yeah, I mean. I, kudos to Mori for having a vision. You know, he's had this Mori ball thing for a while now, but he really stuck to his guns, got the perfect coach for it, got great complimentary players for it. And then, you know, more you've, you've been talking about wanting Jimmy to play on ball more in large part because of what we've seen Harden do. So, you know, it's, it took balls to make those moves because they could have easily backfired, but they did not. So, yeah, Mori Mori is my pick. So uh, just just one final note on Mori and, and the Rockets. Yeah. I'm just looking over the roster right now and who's contributing. Imagine if Mori trades Corey Brewer for a rotation guy who can shoot. Mm. That would for me absolutely cement him as this year's best executive. Mm-hmm. Now, because we shouldn't forget the trade deadline is on Thursday. Right. And that's gonna sway opinion a whole lot. If one sure. GM comes out looking like a genius that could just t- change everything but if Mori just gets rid of Corey Brewer and gets a, a rotation guy in there who can shoot and play in transition a little bit better hell yeah I mean then what kind of weakness does the Rockets have offensively right like, nothing yeah that's a good point yeah so that's a great way to seg into our final section uh before our crushes of the week as you mentioned, Mort, the trade deadline is Thursday. I think it's safe to say Rob Hennigan will not get a GM of the year or executive of the year. Uh, but we will... Going there so soon. <laughs> yeah. We we will probably see at least one or two more big moves. We've already seen the Ibaka deal, the Plumlee-Nurkic trade. So I want to go around. Uh, everyone can either give either A, uh, you could give something you think is going to happen, B something you think should happen or both and more as our trade deadline or our trade machine guru i want you to go first oh man yeah i did see that in your pre-pod email but that was difficult to me because what i want to see is boston doing something but i just don't know what specifically Mm -hmm. that's kind of the problem okay i do feel that Boston, having signed Al Horford this summer, they, they sort of promised their fan base and Al, let's be honest, that we're going to do something big here mm-hmm. and we're going to do it now because otherwise, why why spend all that money on Al now? Like, right. Then you should have just like 
played the restricted free agency market <laughs> and gotten a guy like for for eighteen million instead of twenty six, right? Yep. So I think I think you need to if you're Boston, you need to think big now. Mm-hmm. And while I don't love a Carmelo Anthony fit there, if the right package comes along. Mm-hmm. For Melo, and we know the that Boston is one of those teams that Melo would wave his, wave his no trade clause for. Right. Then why not? Yeah. Why not? If 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 the deal is right, and that means probably not the Brooklyn pick for this year, mm-hmm. probably the 2018 instead, because I don't think they want to risk giving up Markel Fultz for right. Melo Anthony. Right. But but you know maybe the 2018 pick or something, and then Amir Johnson and. Yeah, Tyler Seller, I suppose. Yeah, yeah. I think that would fit cap wise. Yeah, but or like whatever yeah. salary filler yeah. in general. Like you could throw in right. Jonas Jerebko or something like that. Yeah, exactly. And then run Melo as the full time four. Mm-hmm. So you have Horford, Melo, Crowder, and then hey, who knows? Like Bradley and and Marcus Smart seems to be finding it out in that two spot. Mm-hmm. So you know that could happen. Whatever, whoever wins out, and then Isaiah Thomas at the one. The problem being, of course, that Melo still holds the ball a lot, right. but in Boston, under Brad Stevens, that might not be, you know, a big problem for long because I think Stevens is one of those guys that Melo would immediately respect. Yeah. Um that's that's a that's just a theory of mine personally, but he's just like who doesn't respect Stevens, right? <laughs> right. Well he'll have a chance to coach him this weekend in the All Star game, so he'll get uh first that's a good point yeah, so we can we'll we'll get to see how mellow i mean not that they're running real sets or <laughs> trying very hard but we'll see how much mellow respects brad stevens on sunday uh sarah do you have any any crazy trade ideas that you'd like to float out there well for what should happen i think the Cavs should retroactively go back and pick up Briante Weber <laughs> but uh, <laughs> other than that I don't really have much I mean, Brooke Lopez comes to mind but I don't know what the situation is there is Brooklyn looking to move him at all or yeah they want they are. two They're looking for two picks yeah, two first round two picks. picks it's just kind of a shame and has been a shame for a while that he's wasting away mm-hmm. in Brooklyn but um, I don't know I don't know where he might or could go for those uh, two picks. Yeah. Portland? Portland. That's pretty well, much it. <laughs> they, they just got Nurkic. The New Orleans is yeah. the one. Um, Michael Scotto of Basketball Insiders reported Brooklyn offered. I think it was Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, Tim Frazier, and a 2018 protected first-round pick for Lopez, which the Nets immediately said no to because that's a garbage <laughs> offer. Yeah. But, you know, the Nets uh, – the sorry, the Pelicans have been sniffing around reportedly for – uh, compliments to Anthony Davis in the front court, so that does seem like a place he could land if the, if the Pelicans up their offer a little bit. Yeah, I don't see that uh, happening. I, I still kind of like Portland, even though they got Nurkic, because Nurkic just never played more than seventeen minutes a game. Hmm. Like, I mean, look if if the if the price is there i mean they could swing a three-way deal Mm -hmm. and said because you can't send alan crab to brooklyn because of the offer sheet oh right yeah so they need then they they need to do it for in in a three-way trade right Mm -hmm. but they have those two picks they have like a pick portland does they have a pick that's currently slated for like i think 10th and then one in the mid-20s or something Mm -hmm. if you send those two picks and alan crab 
Alan Crabb needs to go somewhere else. Yeah. But the, the point being that you get Brooke Lopez and Sean Kilpatrick hmm. onto uh, Portland. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be interesting. Yeah, that could work. And, I mean, Lopez has shown three-point range for the first time in his career. I mean, I don't think uh, they get two first-round picks for him because Steve Kyler of Basketball Insiders reported they want the pick this year to be a lottery-level pick. Uh, I don't know if they're going to get that plus another first, but it does seem like, uh, I mean, in terms of things, you know, the Nets have no incentive to tank because obviously Boston owns their next two first round picks. But mm-hmm. given Brooke Lopez's hit injury of or history of foot injuries, you know, he missed almost full, two full seasons uh, a couple of years ago with foot injuries. If I'm Brooklyn, I'm really considering moving him now, you know, instead of risking him getting hurt in the next 30 games, losing just about all of his trade value, because, you know, the Nets really need to restock their cupboard in terms of picks, prospects, uh, just young players in general. And Lopez is their one guy that will allow them to do that. So that's one move I'd like to see made. I think the Lakers need to trade Lou Williams, if only because they need to protect that top three pick. Um, you know, it pains me to say that as a Sixers fan, but they if they fall out of the top three, that pick goes to Philly. So they need to tank, like, you know, the ever-living hell. Uh, Jim Buss is a dead man walking anyway, so there's no point in trying to cling to a playoff spot. You're not going to make the playoffs, and you're getting fired, Jim. Um and the, the one that I thought, you know, we've heard Reggie Jackson's name floated out around a little bit in the last couple of days. Zach right. Lowe had a column about it Thursday. And then just before we started recording, um, Mark Stein of ESPN said they've discussed a deal with the Magic, uh, DJ Augustine and Jeff Green for Reggie Jackson. So that's one I'm kind of interested in. Uh, I'm not sure that they will make a deal, but there was a reported... Uh, earlier, I think like a month ago, I don't remember who reported it, but I think it might have been Zach Lowe, that there was like talks of a Reggie Jackson-Ricky Rubio swap. So that's the guy I'm keeping my eye on heading into the deadline, because as of a couple days ago, I would not have thought he was that available. Um, But it sounds, you know, the Pistons have struggled with him on the court. He just hasn't really regained his form since coming back from that injury. Uh, so maybe with a full off season he'll be better again, but it would not totally shock me to see them move Reggie Jackson. And more, I'm with you. I think the Celtics, it's time to pull the trigger. And if it, you know, I personally think they should trade for Jimmy Butler, and I think they should give up that 2017 first round pick for him. Uh, you know, you have a 27 year old Isaiah Thomas and a 31 year old Al Horford. Like you're built to win now. The Cavs are vulnerable. You might not beat the Warriors, but like the Cavs proved this week, it takes one injury and the whole landscape is shaken up. So I can understand why they're hesitant to give up nine years of team control for that, but there's no guarantee it turns out to be Markel Fultz. They could slip to three or to four. Exactly. So it could be like Dennis Smith Jr. or, you know, Josh right. Jackson or right. something. Like there's no guarantee that pick turns into Markel and- Fultz or Lonzo Ball. And that's why I'm hoping and I think that the Bulls are not going to move Butler until draft night. Interesting. Yeah. So they want to know. Uh, I don't think. 
Right. They yeah. don't want to risk sitting at fourth. Right. They just don't. I, I, I or well, you know, Gar Foreman, so everything's possible, right. I guess. But um, I just can't imagine that they would settle for that. Yeah. I think that it would be a fair and look, it would be fair. I mean, come on, Jimmy Butler for Markel Fools. I mean, that's I don't care. That's a fair deal, especially given Jimmy's contract, given his superstar status. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, and and the fact that he's a known commodity, Mark Markel Fools. It's not a known NBA commodity, right? Yeah. So I mean, I, I would I would say that's fair. Yeah. Uh, just going back one, I'm just gonna go back one notch to the Brooklyn thing we talked about earlier because you said that Brook Lopez is is, is uh, basically their only asset. Yeah. And I'm actually gonna challenge that thing by by making this point. Okay. Sean Kilpatrick right now mm-hmm. is a 27 year old shooting guard who's averaging about 13 and a half points. You know, four rebounds can shoot. And he's earning less than a million, and he's locked up next year for a million dollars and fifty-one thousand. Mm. That makes him a prime guy to send to a contender in need of uh, strengthening their bench That's true. because he's cheap. That means they won't have to give up a big uh, key guy. Yeah. So I think it's possible for Brooklyn to move Sean Kilpatrick for some future draft considerations yeah. because he would help bolster a, a contender's bench significantly. So that's another guy they have right there at their disposal. I wouldn't be surprised to see him getting traded as well as Brook Lopez. Uh, I mean, I would basically just be selling off their veterans right. like candy bars. Yeah, exactly. It's just, it, w- it doesn't matter. I mean, just sell them off. They're go- you're going to lose anyway. Mm-hmm. Just get young guys, get draft picks. Right. Like, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, I, I shouldn't say Lopez is their only trade chip. He is their most valuable one, I would argue. Um, right, right. But, yeah, they have Trevor Booker, too. They have uh, Boganovich. Like, they have other guys who they could and should trade. Um, but, yeah, I, I think Sean Marks will be wheeling and dealing to recoup some of the value that Billy King lost. So let's wrap things up this week with our weekly crushes. As always, these are guys aren't getting the attention they deserve they are not the kevin durant and lebron james of the world so sarah who is your crush heading into all-star break um james johnson down in miami nice it's a good one uh, averaging about 12 points five rebounds 3.3 assists one block in 26 minutes shooting 49 percent from the field um even over his last five he's up to nearly 19 points a game so it's been playing well for them, and they were hot until they lost their win streak to the mighty Sixers. <laughs> but they still played really well, and uh, he's a big part of it. So that's my crush. I like it. Yeah, he's he's been playing really well. We've been singing his praises recently just as a valuable member of that streaking Heat team until they, yeah, as you mentioned, ran into my <laughs> undefeatable Sixers. Uh, Morton, how about you? Who's your crush of the week? Well, now I feel bad because... Um... I use him. I, I I chose Christoph Porzingis as my as my crush simply because he didn't make the All Star game. Okay, that's fair. And then then you attack me with your logic. Uh, yeah. Damn you! <laughs> Damn you! You're American. You shouldn't be. You shouldn't be supposed to have logic, especially <laughs> under this current administration. Yeah, it won't um, last for long. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> but now I feel bad choosing Porzingis because you know your argument argument made sense. Damn it! You could still choose uh, Porzingis. He's he's deserving. I'm, I'm gonna, 
I'm gonna because you know you can't argue with what he's doing out there. 18 points a game, seven rebounds, two blocks, almost two threes. Will say this though, I did not expect Porzingis to be this sort of rebounder. I thought he would be better. I've been I've been kind of disappointed in his rebounding, and this is the first time I've actually been crapping on my crush. But <laughs> I just uh, I wanted to get it out there. Porzingis should definitely. Yeah, I don't know. Go to rebound camp if there's <laughs> any such thing because he's in sorely need of it. He's your seven foot three and you're mobile. Like there's no excuse for not pulling down Zen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I I would really love to see him in an All Star setting. I think he's done so much like get New York interest back. Then James Dolan killed him. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. You know. Um, He's deserving. I just, I really hope he gets out of New York quick. Yeah. Well, I'm sure we will see him in an all-star game in the coming years, along with a lot of these other quote-unquote unicorn big men. Um, so mine, we mentioned my crush of the week a little bit earlier in the rookie of the year race, but it's the homie Dario, who also, <laughs> may I know, earned a shout out in Zach Lowe's column today uh, mm-hmm. as a dark horse MVP. But just over his last six games, He's averaging almost 20 points, seven rebounds, two and a half assists, two threes and a steal in under 28 minutes a game. As I mentioned earlier, he's kind of really pinned Ersan Ilyas over to the bench because he's been playing so well. Uh, and yeah, there are still long-term questions about how he fits with Simmons and Embiid. You know, can he play the three? Can Simmons play the three? At this point, I don't care because the Sixers are lying about injuries so much that I'm convinced we might never see this full team on the floor at any point. <laughs> so until they do, at least the homie Dario is cheering me up and uh, you know showing why Hinky traded for him on draft night, why he's worth the number 12 overall pick, et cetera, et cetera. So worth the wait, both Embiid and homie Dario. If you keep calling him my homie Dario, I'm going to start thinking that's his name. I'm going to sit there, you know, on Danny's radio or something. I'm going to say, hey, you know what? That guy, my homie Dario, he's just, he's balling. It's not going to You work. would get so much love from the process crew if, if we heard, if there's like a Sportando update that says on Danish radio, they referred to him as my homie Dario. <laughs> All right, that is going to do it this week for the NBA podcast. Thanks to everyone for listening. I hope you enjoy All-Star Weekend. I'm sorry for all Philadelphia fans that Embiid is not playing. Again, reminder just to check us out on Twitter at the NBA pod. You can find all three of our Twitter handles in the bio as well. We're also available on iTunes, so we'd love for you to subscribe and download. Leave us some reviews. We'd love any feedback. And FanRag Sports is where we're hosted this year, so check them out on Twitter at FanRag Sports and at FanRag NBA. I'm sure we're going to have a lot of great trade deadline content, all-star weekend recaps, fun stuff. So check them out on Twitter at FanRagSports.com. As always, I'm Brian Tapork, and I was joined by Morton Jensen and Sarah Chalea. Uh, Guys, great talking to you. Enjoy the festivities this weekend. (laughs) You too. Likewise, Brian. All right, take care, everyone.